Welcome to the Modernizer Die Podcast Soapbox Edition. In this podcast, we take you behind the scenes in the Cold Fusion community. We'll talk to the leaders about what they're working on to push the language forward with tools, frameworks, modules, lessons learned, and best practices. So welcome back to another Modernizer Die Soapbox Edition, number five, episode number five here, and I'm happy to have Brian Class with me today. Welcome. Hi. Glad to be here. Thanks for inviting me. So Brian's a, a friend of the, the oldest team, and we love having him here at uh, all of our conferences and everything else. He's always been a great contributor. So let's do the, the background questions here. And when did you start working with Cold Fusion? Oh, boy. Uh, I think I want to say it was Cold Fusion 3.5, probably back in 2001. I think is that when three five was out? Maybe it was four or four had just come out. Yeah, One I of those two. But it's been five, since yeah, four five I think came out in two thousand or even yeah, so. Maybe it was four five instead of three five. But it's been an awfully long time, is what it feels like. You know, many many years working uh, with CF, and uh, my team still does to this day, and plans on continuing to do so for the foreseeable future. Cool. So, what did you do before Cold Fusion? Did you do any other programming jobs or any other languages? <laughs> this is where we get the dirty uh, laundry so- out. Uh, The dirty laundry. Yeah. So I grew up in Silicon Valley. My dad worked for HP and my first programming uh, assignments, as it were, were programming against mainframes. Um, We had the big old giant, you know, huge keyboard with the foam headsets that you'd plug the phone into. You dial in on the rotary phone and it would make the beeps and the boops (laughs) and you'd put it into the foam headset and it would output on a thermal printer. It was a thermal printer output that kept running out because the printer uh, things weren't that long. And uh, that's how I first learned to program, and then I had an Atari 800 back in the day, and I learned assembly language, which was super fun, wow. as you can probably <laughs> imagine. Um, and then, and I, like, and that was in junior high, and I was I developed a couple of games, and one got published in Byte Magazine uh, when I was 12, and I built other games on the Commodore. Uh, what was the successor to the PET? Um, it wasn't the 64, but it was the sort of white robot-looking computer with the, the small Commodore you know, Amiga 500 no 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 this was at schools they sold it to schools and oh. stuff it wasn't the pad and it wasn't the 64 but it was another Commodore uh, anyways built games in an early version of basic in that and then I stopped like one day uh, that computer crashed in the computer lab and, and I lost all of my work and I said I am out I am done with this and I went off and I became an uh, English and theater major and uh, ran a theater company for many years uh, and then slowly at the start of the internet got sucked back into uh, computers and software development because uh, people that I knew knew someone like, hey, you know how to do computer stuff, right? There's this company that we work for that's looking for people and they're looking at doing this online learning thing and you know how to do that, right? And I was like, sure, I need the money. Um, <laughs> and uh, that's how actually how I got started at Hopkins. I, I bullshitted my way through the interview uh, and learned very hard, very fast uh, to pick things up again. And then the first, I think, like five years I was there, I wrote everything in Perl. So that was our fun and excitement. CGI Gateway, you know, CGI Bin and Perl scripts, and uh, then finally moved over to uh, Cold Fusion because one of my, uh, someone I didn't work with directly, but someone else at the Bloomberg School of Public Health, or as it was known at the time, the School of Hygiene and Public Health, <laughs> Bloomberg had nothing to do with it, um, was using this thing called Cold Fusion. And he's like, it's really great. And it's easy to talk to databases and it's so much easier than writing in Perl. And so picked it up and here we are, cool. like 19 years later. 
Okay, so you've been working at Johns Hopkins with Cold Fusion for almost 19 years now. Yeah. Well, Hopkins, actually, I'm coming up on year number 23. It'll be 23 in a couple of weeks. Oh, wow. um, so it's it's a long time working at, at Hopkins. Yeah. Cool. Well, that sounds like a good little history there. Uh, it seems like a lot of us uh, in the community uh, either started just recently or a long time ago <laughs> dealing with Pearl. So any one of us that came from Pearl and went to Cold Fusion, like we've seen the light. Like after Pearl, yeah. this is amazing. No wonder we love it still. Exactly. Exactly. Anything's better. Anything's better than writing in Pearl, as far as I'm concerned. And I know that there's probably Pearl fans out there like, but the index, the searching and the grep pattern matching is so amazing. And it's great for working with text files, but we don't really work with a lot of text files anymore. Yeah. And, you know, you can still do regex and cold fusion. And you That's can right. even do cold fusion into Java to do some crazy stuff, too. So Absolutely. I do a lot of that. Yeah, exactly. So... Obviously, uh, if those of you who haven't heard of Brian or haven't seen him into the box or CF Summit or Dev Objective or CF Objective, um, <laughs> he presents a lot on AWS and sort of he's like the AWS integration guy for Cold Fusion. So that's what I'm saying whenever I introduce you. Um, so obviously, you've done a lot of work with AWS. So do you want to tell us a little bit about why you guys started moving towards AWS? Uh, I, I assume it's because the best tool for the job and Cold Fusion is obviously running your show and you do some crazy stuff with it. So you want to tell us a little bit about what you guys are doing and what sort of led you into AWS? Because I think it's a cool Absolutely. story. Um, so we actually do a lot. Uh, it's a lot of little things and a couple of really big things. And it's all about expanding our ability to do to provide value to our customer base in a way that we would never be able to do so on our own. In order for us to do some of these things, we would have to hire lots of people, have a great deal of expertise, run a ton of servers, spend a lot of money, and do what is, they like to call it AWS, undifferentiated heavy lifting for all of this stuff, right? I don't want to have to hire machine learning experts to do high-level, accurate translation of audio from one language to another. I don't want to have to set up 500 servers in order to spin up a whole bunch of reporting services or deal with a crush of information that comes in during like the last week of an academic term in terms of student tracking and academic information and just what are they doing in the websites and were they cheating on the exams and I don't want to do that stuff. That stuff's not interesting to me. Running servers isn't interesting to me. Running systems isn't interesting to me. And I know that's very interesting to some people, um, but to me it's not interesting and it's not fun. It's not to say I don't care about operations. In fact, AWS lets us think very in great detail about our operations and do them in a better way. Um, we are better at ops because we are using AWS. Um, but most of all, it lets us do cool and interesting things without having to worry about you know, running out of disk space or our servers patched, right? Because, you know, we do a lot of stuff that where we never see the servers and we never touch the servers. And so when there's a vulnerability like Heartbleed, you know, AWS takes care of it for us in hours and we never have to worry about it. Done and done, right? Rather than having a nightmare security team call where we are all working for 72 hours solid trying to patch things, get things going. Uh, that's not to say we don't run servers because we certainly do and that has its own special challenges. But one of the things we've realized is that we can build better CFML apps because we can tap into all this power and all of these services at a relatively low cost to us. Uh, it's not free, right? Nothing in life is ever free, 
but it's a whole lot cheaper from a uh, you know machine operation perspective, from a human resources perspective, uh, to go this route than it is to try to build this expertise ourselves. And it's fun. That's the other thing, is we get to do some really cool, fun stuff because we're not having to build the infrastructure. We can get it out. Of, we can get out the door really fast. So I'll give you an example. Um, we just did a whole integration with Zoom, which we're using to record this session here today, with the Zoom API, with their setup and their system. And uh, with recordings, we wanted a way to automatically grab them and transform them and put them out for our students and our classes after there are live sessions that the faculty have. And one small piece of it was just like, okay, getting the stuff out of Zoom and getting it to somewhere else. And we deliver most of our content off of CloudFront, uh, which is Amazon's global content distribution network, uh, via uh, or via S3, the simple storage service. Just depends on where we're storing stuff and how often it's going to be accessed and for how long. And... You know, I was like, okay, so I could pull all these files over the wire from wherever Zoom's data center is down to our local cold fusion servers, or and then manipulate them and then put them back up. Or I could just sort of have these events automatically fire off on their very own uh, using the stuff that's already in AWS. And I could use simple queue service and pull this into a Lambda function that just goes grabs it because Zoom stuff is actually already in AWS. And I don't pay the data in and out. And I can transform and manipulate these files very easily. And that whole thing, that whole process of doing that work took me about two hours just to write all the code to make it happen because AWS made it super easy. And this is sort of an automation process that would have taken a human being, you know, a couple of hours to do on their own, plus all the data in and out, plus, you know, the, the charges for that, right? Yeah. Uh, and the additional processing didn't need to happen in our CFML servers. You know, this is stuff that I could have done all on my outside of it. And so we did it. And again, because AWS makes it really easy to do that and easy for me to talk to, AWS through my CFML servers. Um, you know, the whole thing took about two hours to build a production-ready, very resilient, super fast, you know, file manipulation and transfer system from different locations within AWS, and that was that was great. Um, and that's the kind of stuff that enables us to do to let our CFML servers do what they do best, which, in my estimation, is talking to the databases and generating the data for output um, to uh, our customers. Yeah, and now that's that's sort of crazy because yeah, I mean, like you said, the two hours to do that. I mean, for most people, they're like, oh yeah, but I could do that on my local server, and that's fine if you have like maybe a, you know a few Zoom meetings a day. But right. I mean, if you've got a big old university, <laughs> like a big old yeah, school, we that do you have, we do about eight hundred to nine hundred a year. So you know, it's a couple. Of, most days it's three or four, sometimes seven or eight on a single day. Um, and there's no reason not to automate that. And and AWS just made it easy for us to do that. I mean, it's just all I did was fire off a couple of messages, literally just fire a few messages off from my CFML application. And then after talk to the Zoom API and then AWS took care of the rest. And again, undifferentiated heavy lifting. I don't have to worry about it. And uh, that's one of the really nice things about working with AWS. Yeah, that's cool. Now, so what was the first thing you guys moved off from ColdFusion and started using AWS for? Do you remember? Um, yeah. So the very first thing we did, so we've been using AWS for a number of stuff, a uh, number of things um, over the years. I mean, we use S3, Simple Storage Service. We use CloudFront. Uh, and we use Elastic Beanstalk to run some smaller apps that we have in sort of an auto-scaling kind of way. So we say, here's this little app. It's running over here. And if there's extra traffic, just spin up an extra server or two. And if there is an extra traffic, drop those servers out. And, you know, there 
there are different tools that we have that are spiky in rare workloads, and we don't want to have to build stuff we don't pay that we don't use, right? There's no point in building out like a five-server cluster for something that's really only used on one server, maybe at 20% capacity, 95% of the time. So why are we building all this extra capacity and that we don't need that we won't pay for? Um, so we've been using you know various compute services from AWS for a while, um, but the first thing that we like really sort of moved off from CFML um, into AWS. Uh, was a simple tool for monitoring the size of content that was being put into our S3 buckets. Um, because what had happened was, uh, you know, we're a university and we have lots of students and they get personal sort of storage space. And there was somebody who started uploading movies into his personal storage space. So we actually got a DMCA takedown notice and they're like, you know, we're going to shut all of Johns Hopkins down. And it was this big legal brouhaha. And mm. Hopkins is a big place that gets lots and lots of money from the federal government every year. And anything that gets us in trouble with the federal government becomes a huge issue immediately at all sorts of levels. And so somebody had started posting movies up there and we get this DMCA notice and we're like, how, why, how did this happen? Why would someone be so stupid? And um, so we just built a simple monitoring tool. This is right around the time that Lambda came out back in 2014. And we built a simple monitoring tool that automatically read the size of the files that went into the buckets. And if they were over a specific size, we'd be alerted and, and notified uh, within you know seconds of this via SMS as well as via email messages. And my team would get notifications. And, you know, that was the first thing that we really built. It was simple, but it wound up helping us catch some real problems in the long run, um, you know, about these huge files. So why would a student need to put up, you know, um, a seven gigabyte MP4 file, you know, <laughs> in, in their personal storage bucket? They don't. And invariably, this turns out to be, you know, students who are trying to get around the system and posting files for their friends to have. And, you know, we can see this, you know, we don't, we can't see that it's, you know, whatever, um, uh, Last Jedi or whatever that are posting up there. But, you know, the file size kind of gives it away because there's behaviors that students engage in that, are not normal. Always for what pushing other boundaries. <laughs> right, exactly. So, you know, we built that. And what's been more interesting since then is that we're able to, you know, look at patterns and use some of their AI stuff to say, um, this is this is exceptional, right? This is not something that would normally be done by this student or this group of students or for this time of year. Um, and we can get alerting on all sorts of different things wow. that go into our buckets um, based off of that. Because, you know, when you put a file in a bucket in S3, it can it emit an event, and this is how Lambda works, and it emits an event, and it grabs that information and then can put it into uh, DynamoDB or just S3 as a sort of part of a part of a CSV file or some other database, and you can use their various um, AI tools uh, to sort of say, is this anomalous based off of um, you know what what else the what else what are the other behavior from other people is, um, and so we've actually used stuff like that for. Uh, looking at student performance, uh, you know, can we predict student performance based off of um, their activity in the classes? So we capture all sorts of activity and we say, okay, if students have this much activity in these areas around not just watching lectures or taking tests or assignments, but also how they contribute to the various um, collaborative tools in the environment, will they do better or worse? Um, and we use the sort of predictive tools that AI, that, that Amazon provides us to do that. So it's, it's pretty interesting. You can do a lot of like um, sort of predictive analysis stuff with with the tools they provide for you out of the box. That's the fun stuff. Most of the stuff we do is boring and uninteresting. Um, you know, we have a huge video processing pipeline that we've built out over the years because we have lots of, most of the content in our classes is delivered via video. Uh, so, you know, it needs to be created in different sizes, uh, you know, different formats for different platforms. Um, so it, you know, plays back efficiently regardless of your connection speed. Uh, we do transcription and translation uh, as well. And these are all services that we've built out 
inside of AWS over time. Uh, and I've talked about a number of these at, at various, you know, into the boxes. You know, last year, I think it was the one uh, talking about how using step functions, which is um, uh, a workflow system that they have that basically pieces together, uh, you know, individual functions you might have in AWS Lambda. So instead of just a function being one thing, you actually piece them all together through uh, step functions into real workflows and applications. And these can be incredibly complex. Um, but again, you don't run servers, you don't manage servers, you don't maintain servers. We just create more business value for our customers because we are letting someone do that undifferentiated heavy lifting and we're just coding uh, and building tools. Um, so it's it's a lot of fun. I mean, that's the thing is like, it's cool to be able to build this stuff so fast inside of AWS without worrying about, again, operational expertise, security, um, and, uh, you know, uh, the, the fun of running and maintaining your own servers and trying to develop this expertise yourself. Yeah, no, and obviously that's what, another reason why I like Brian and, and his speaking too. He brings the excitement and brings the passion with it. And uh, you see me smiling over here all the whole time. It's yeah. just no, like, it's, you just see it. It's, it's fun. You see the fun. It is, it's, you know, I mean, how often in your development work are you like, this is actually fun? I mean, I know some people are very lucky. I think the folks on the Ortis team are lucky because you have incredible passion and you, it is fun for you to build these tools, whether it's, you know, Content Box or Cold Box or Command Box or, you know, QB or some of the, the modules and plugins you guys offer. But you are clear having fun doing that work. And that is such a rarity in, I think, in software development and application development. It's a job for so many people and it's hard and it's difficult for all of us. But if you can do things in your daily job that are fun and interesting and bring you joy, right, because you're doing cool new things, then that's great. And that's what I try to do with my team. You know, I have, I have nine people who report to me at Hopkins and I try to make sure that they're learning and doing new stuff and having fun doing it. Because if you're not, life is kind of painful, right? Yeah. And I Your think you become more productive and more efficient too, when you're having Absolutely. fun. Your brain's engaged, you get in that flow, as they say, you know, in the groove yeah. and you just start outputting bitter stuff. And yeah. And that's, part of the reason I love working with Autos. I mean, I get to work with, on some cool stuff, but with some really smart people and that inspires me to, you know, push it a little further and do a little more. And, you know, that's part of the reason why I'm doing this podcast so I can talk to, you know, smart people in the community and, you know, soak up some of their passion and their knowledge and, you know, yeah. pushes me forward. And hopefully that you listeners out there and what uh, people watching this video are enjoying it too. So it's so, okay. So you have a team of nine. And so now does everybody do cold fusion and a little bit of AWS or is that you're sort of your baby, you get to play with a new stuff and they help you integrate it. How does it work? So I have a, so there's nine people that report to me, but actually of those nine, really only five of them are full-time developers. The rest of them are, there's like a video team and we have a, a QA and documentation specialist who works with us on our team as well. Um, so there's really only five developers, but you know, I really try and push them all into working with AWS as much as possible. Um, but it can be a rabbit hole sometimes, right? Uh, I have a team member who's working on a, a project that's essentially like a, a broken link checker, but it's a lot more advanced than that. And, you know, it was interesting. He went, the thing about AWS is there's so much to choose from. It's very easy to fall down the rabbit hole. And I was like, okay, I'd like you to try this, try to do this in a more serverless kind of way. You know, I don't want to run a bunch of Java servers. There was a Java app or Java application called Nux that could let you sort of do a lot of what we needed to do for this tool, but it would have to run in its own little cluster. And I was like, I don't really want to be paying for 24 seven clusters when this is a tool that will be clicked on once per term by every faculty member in each of their courses. That's a waste of resources, 
right? It's a waste of our money. And so he's like, okay, well, let me look at what else I can do kind of like in a serverless way and it'd be really cool because I could write some Node and I want to get better at Node and JavaScript and I could tie this in and fire it off from our CF application. And then he like got into AWS AppSync, which is a whole like serverless backend, sort of automated backend thing for, for React applications on the front end. And it builds all this cool stuff for you. But he wound up using like literally 14 services when one probably would have done the job. And so I think one of the great things about AWS is it provides all these options. But one of the challenges is is choosing the right ones, right? And knowing the limitations of each server so you don't fall down this rabbit hole. And he's pulled himself out, which is good. Um, but uh, it's definitely, it was definitely a challenge, right? Because it's easy to fall down the AWS rabbit hole and start having all of these things that are out there. And, um, you know, I, I follow a lot of people on Twitter who are involved with AWS. And you talked about get, being around smart people. You know, the reason that I learned a lot about AWS is because I got inspired by smart people who are still inspired by working with that company and following them on Twitter or reading their blog posts or meeting them in person at reInvent, which is their big conference, um, made a huge difference and inspires passion in me um, to do that. But it takes a lot of like, you know, they always say, they all say the hardest part about working in AWS is finding the resources you didn't know existed and turning them off. Um, because you get these bills and you're like, well, why am I paying this money? I don't, I don't remember running this particular database instance or I never used this service. And of course you did, because as you're playing around, because it's so easy to play around, um, you wind up running stuff in the background and you totally forget about it. I mean, I got a bill just last month and I was like, I don't have any more elastic block store images i shouldn't be charged for any ebs volumes right because that's that's what they would use to attach to a, a compute instance a computer like a server an ec2 um, and you attach volumes just like you would any other hard drive totally forgot that i had like four of them and they've just been sitting there and i got charged every month for them you know these five gigabyte hard drives sitting out there that were assigned to me but i hadn't used them in over a year right and i was like these here and that's one of the joys of aws is uh not falling down the rabbit hole and being very careful about the resources you do wind up using because it's so easy to use all these different resources and then, yeah um, i've been to some sorry. of the aws conferences too the smaller summit ones i haven't been to reinvent mm -hmm. yet some might to do list, but yeah i mean that's why there's companies and that's all they do their right. services that's right that help you do. manage your bills like because these multi-million dollar companies who have you know, AWS bills out the wazoo, like it's hard to manage that. You I mean, you've, you've got a small team and, a, you know, pretty decent deployment there, but yeah, imagine if you were the, some of the bigger scales, it would be ridiculous. So there's companies and all they do is help you with your AWS bill and try to figure right. out what you're using right, and exactly. not using. So. There was a thing on, um, I don't know if you saw it, but in the AWS sphere, uh, there was this big deal, it was on Hacker News, um, you know, that Lyft in their IPO filing said that they spend like $132 million a year um, on AWS bills and AWS bills alone. And people were like, that's ridiculous. They're spending so much money on AWS. That's so absurd. $132 million a year. Well, this is, I mean, yeah, since their IPO, their stock price has gone down, but they're still a multi-billion dollar valued company. And it's like, well, of course it makes perfect sense. They're going to spend $132 million a year. That's on AWS. their whole business. <laughs> that's their business, right? They don't want to run servers. They don't want to run infrastructure. They don't want to build out a global content delivery network and super fast connectivity and super secure backends for everything. They they want someone else to do that so they can 
be in the business of connecting riders to cars. That's what they want to do. Mm-hmm. And that's smart on their behalf. I mean, lots of companies, I mean, even Apple, a company of its huge size and scope with many of its own data centers, still spends about $30 a month on AWS. Uh, $30 million a month, excuse me, on AWS. $30 million. Yeah, $30 million on AWS, <laughs> right? And because they also understand there's only so many things we can do and leave that undifferentiated heavy lifting to other people. Um, but yeah, the billing thing is like its own black art science and AWS doesn't make it easy either because that way they can charge you more. Yeah. Well, yeah, I mean, they've added some tools to help there, but still, that's why they're yeah. still companies services. But that's another reason why they should read your blog, right? I mean, you've got a great sure. blog with a whole lot of I AWS uh, functions. And I think you're up to, is it step nine or 10 on your AWS step functions right now? <laughs> yeah. Part, part so step functions is a lot. I mean, step functions is kind of awesome and really interesting. And, um, you know, with Pete, and I know you interviewed, you interviewed Pete on the, the, the podcast just recently, Pete Freetag. And, um, you know, he, with Fuseless, it's a really interesting project that will allow us to run CFML inside of AWS Lambda. Um, my hope is that, you know, eventually there's a CFML Lambda layer available, either made available by the Lucy team or even Adobe. Um, that would be awesome just to have a Lambda layer that's there. That's a way of sort of you know tapping into one of the non-standard runtimes. You can build your own custom runtime through layers inside of Lambda. But the point is that with CFML in there, then we can start actually writing completely serverless applications with complex workflows, with branching, with all this stuff, without writing um, sort of replicating the the monoliths, the microliths in, in, in serverless. Because a lot of times, and I talked about this in the... Um, the presentation I gave last year and then the current blog post blog series, it's very easy to fall into that trap with uh, serverless, whether you're writing in CFML or Java or uh, Node or Python, you build these controller functions, right? These God functions. And depending on what variables you pass in, it does one of 17 things. And that's totally the wrong way to do stuff. But people do that because they don't know how else to have a full application that makes decisions based on the current data that it's using. And that's what step functions are for. And um, they're complex in the sense that you're, it's basically like how to build an application written in JSON. Like <laughs> they're all written in JSON. So how do you write an application in JSON, right? Uh, and then, you know, call these other services. So that's why there's lots of, uh, lots of posts in that series. But, you know, I love writing about what I know um, and sharing the information. I think so many CFML developers would be really happy if they just started using stuff in AWS or Google or Azure, just trying out those services because we reinvent the wheel so often or we feel like, hey, I can't do this, right? I can't do a video encoding um, service because, you know, I don't have the resources. I don't know how to build that. I don't know how to set up an FFmpeg cluster. Or, you know, we have 30% of our clients are in China and I'd love to be able to provide our reports in Mandarin, but I don't speak Mandarin. I don't know how to do that. And again, AWS, Google, Azure, they all provide services that do that stuff for you. And just by reaching out and trying it and getting started, I think most people can see how easy it is to do that. And so that's why I try to cover as many of the services as I can inside from my blog posts, you know, not just S3, but, you know, Lambda, Transcribe, Translate, Poly, Step Functions. I'll do one on IAM pretty soon because I talked about that at the last Into the Box. But um, just sharing that knowledge is important because A, it helps me remember what I'm supposed to be doing and how it works, but also B, just it puts it out there as reference because, you know, we're not a big community like as big of a community as, say, Node uh, or even Java or Python, where there's lots and lots and lots and lots and lots of resources out there um, for you to easily see what you need to do and 
by blogging, I can sort of put that out there permanently and people can see what they need to do to tap into that from a, from within CFML. Yep. And I found that, you know, even though I blog more on orders now than my own blog, uh, half the time when I'm looking for something, you know, I'm finding it on my own blog. <laughs> oh, totally. Absolutely. There's, I'm like, every time I set up a computer, I'm like, wait, I know I did that blog post about how I can like, what do I, what's the command I use just to write cold fusion start or stop regardless of what directory I'm in. And I search and find my own blog post and, and yeah. there it is. But you're right though. We do need to step up as a community and, and do a little more. And that's why, you know, that's part of the reason we started the CFML news uh, podcast so we can share mm -hmm. the good blog posts and things. And, you know, we can't all keep up on Twitter and follow every post and all these, all these blog posts that are coming out. So that's why we highlight a few. And like I said, every week we've been highlighting yours because you just keep pumping out good stuff. So well, I appreciate that. Um, so hopefully and it's more fun. People you know, I mean, out. that's if I, I figure if I inspire a couple of people to try using step functions or S3 or whatever, I've, done a service to the community as a whole. I mean, I've certainly done a service to AWS, not that I ever get any money from them. Uh, but, you know, within the community ourselves, it just solves problems that we have and, and, and gets rid of the stupid stuff that we have to worry about. Like, am I going to run out of disk space, right? On, what if somebody uploads a four terabyte file onto my system? Am I gonna, it's going to bring down the server. I'm going to run out of disk space. I, I don't have to worry about any of that stuff anymore, right? Because I have ways of handling that and dealing with it in an automated way um, that also has redundancy and reliability and permanent storage and all this cool stuff that's sort of built into to AWS. And they just they do it better than I ever could. So why should I try reinventing what they do extremely well? Yeah, exactly. Now, um, obviously you say cold fusion is the glue that holds this all together. So, mm -hmm. I mean, I know you had the whole video encoding thing. Can you sort of just give us a, a brief explanation of like where cold fusion does its piece and where it hands off to AWS? Just, you know, so someone's, you know, from, someone's uploaded a video, what happens? Mm -hmm. And then on the other side, when they start consuming it, because I think it's pretty cool, like how you have all the different pieces there. So, so yeah, the, I'll try to give the short, the, I, I short talk version. a lot, but I can give yeah. the relatively short version. So, you know, we, in, in Cold Fusion, we build an entire learning management system and it's also a content management system and it's a publication system. And so there's all sorts of workflows that are already there and there's data that we use and we track. And we're not going to get rid of that because we've spent a lot of time and money building this thing. It works really well. Our customers are really happy happy with it. And there's no reason for us to be like, well, let's rip it all out and just, you know, like try and rebuild this in AWS. That doesn't make any sense, right? Because that's the main app in which all the data exists and all the data interacts in sort of real time. Um, but when it, they get to the point of uploading, say, a video for one of their classes, um, what we do is we ingest and get some basic data about it and say, okay, here's where it is, here's where it started. Uh, and then we say, okay, we're going to upload this to, we're going to send it off to S3, uh, simple storage service, and it will fire off a actually step functions workflow based off of that upload, right? It'll say, okay, this file came in, and then it goes through the process of um, encoding it into various formats, and that's all on AWS. US, um, and then tr then transcribing the content into uh, some a text file. So because everybody likes transcripts rather than having to watch a video, or at least lots of our people do. And then we look at options for translation. We have courses that we offer in Spanish. There's courses that are taught in Mandarin uh, as well. So we use Translate for that. But then we also use it to um, make calls back to you know it's also calling back to our Cold Fusion application, saying here's you know this piece of data, this particular file is done. Uh, we're in process on this job so people can check and see what the status of their work is. Again, they're not going to be going off to, we're not replicating all that data in AWS. We're keeping it in our cold fusion application where people are already working and they're used to it. And we're able to correlate that data with other data that exists. So it's meaningful, right, to them. So instead of saying file ID 19673 has finished processing the MP4 version, right, that doesn't mean anything, right? 
what means what means to them is this lecture on you know cellular mitosis has processed you know the MP4 version of it, and a faculty member can look at that and it makes sense to them. And we're doing that within our CFML app because that's where all that core data is. Um, and then at the same time, our in AWS we fire off these things, and when they're done um, and put into their final destination, another event fires, and we contact our third party, uh, another third party service for captioning, and the file gets moved over. They have an AWS integration, and that's all sort of handled magically behind the scenes. Uh, and when it's done, it gets put back in its final destination. It fires off another Lambda function that notifies our CFML application that that workflow is essentially done, and we can now start using interactive captions. You know, before that time, students can look at the video, but there's no interactive captions. And when that's done, the interactive captions that are automatically added. You know, because our database, our main CMS said, oh, this is now available to you. Um, so, you know, for us, CFML is really the sort of, in many ways, the scheduler. Uh, and and the sort of uh, taskmaster for a lot of these AWS workflows that we have. I mean, we do have independent applications running inside of AWS, but again, we speak to them through our main CFML application. It's the glue, like you said, it's the glue, it's the hub through which everything happens, and it's all completely transparent to the end user. You know, and the fact that we then you know, it's easy. It was easy for us to set up a content delivery network for all this video that we produce, right? So we use CloudFront, which is AWS's uh, content delivery network. So we don't worry about the fact that we have students in China uh, and our main data center is in Baltimore because they're not pulling our data from from Baltimore. They're pulling that that big video file from China, right? From one of the you know six or seven uh, CloudFront edge locations that's in Southeast Asia, that's in China or Shanghai or Hong Kong. Taiwan. Um, so, I mean, we don't worry about that, but the end user experience is so much better um, because there's all the stuff that we can do that our users never see that's not necessarily in our CFML application, but that makes our CFML application so much better. Yeah. Let's see. I love that. I mean, even the stuff you're doing where you're, I think it was Polly, where you, you had mm -hmm. like, stuff if they wanted Speaking to listen yes if they wanted right. to listen to some some notes or you know a white paper or whatever you could actually you would they'd request it and then Polly would uh create an audio version and then they could listen to the audio version right yeah i left that part out so yeah after this all this you know because we're using this workflow where we transcribe the audio into text from these lectures in addition to you know different formats for different you know compute platforms or mobile platforms um we have that text, we translate that text, and then we use Poly, which is the same technology AWS uses for Alexa, and we can speak it back out. And so a student who's, we have a lot of non-native English speaking students at our school. Um, about 40% of our students are non-native uh, English speakers. And sometimes it's much easier for them to listen to something in their native language. And, you know, transcribes pretty, pretty darn accurate. I'd, probably like 90, 92%. And there's things that it has in it that we can add in. We can add in like words and phrases that are very common for us, um, whether they're phrases about epidemiology or you know cellular toxicity, whatever it is. Um, we can add that to transcribe and it makes those transcripts even more accurate later on. Um, and the translation is also pretty pretty good on that front. It's not perfect. It's not 100%. And you get some crazy bad uh, translations <laughs> sometimes. Uh, but students understand. I mean, again, it's there to support them and make it easier for them to succeed, not to supplant and replace the original source file because we're not there yet in terms of the technology, um, particularly with a highly technical language you'd get at a graduate school like the Bloomberg School of Public Health. But 
if there are students who wind up staying in the program because they have both the English version and then a version in French or a version in Mandarin or a version in Spanish, and they're like, oh, I get what he's talking about now because it just makes more sense to them to listen to it in their native language, then we've done that student a huge service and we're, and we're meeting our mission of, you know, bringing better health to the entire world because these people will stay in the program, they'll graduate from the program, they'll be able to use those skills rather than failing out because they just didn't understand the content that was in their native language. Um, and it's totally worth it to us. And it's kind of awesome that we can provide that level of service to those students as well. Yeah. And like you said, you'd never want to spin up that many servers to try oh and God. manage and handle no. translation, transcription, right. caption. Right. Yeah, exactly. So, right. I mean, leverage someone else's skill and investment in that. And that's exactly what AWS is letting us do. Yeah. Cool. Well, is there anything else you want to throw in there? I think we covered quite a lot. Obviously, uh, yeah. they should come to CF Summit. Hopefully, you'll be speaking there again this year. Um, I will. I'm. Uh, I, well, I assume I will. <laughs> um, I am on the content selection committee, so I have a feeling I'll be there. Um, but yeah, no, I, uh, this year, I at Into the Box, I talked about um, IAM, Identity Access Management, which is a key part of AWS. It's boring. It's not much fun, but um, until you master it and know it, you really can't it constrains what you can do in AWS pretty significantly. Um, and being able to manipulate that from CF is, is awesome. Um, to be able to align user permissions in your cold fusion application with user permissions inside of all the AWS services. It just makes it so that people can only do what you expect them to do and you're running your AWS services in a safe and secure way, which is certainly very important for avoiding unexpected charges or having people look at data they're not supposed to be looking at, which is very easy to do if you use the default settings or the, you know, you know everyone has permission for everything, which is usually what people wind up doing. Uh, so yeah, it's it's a good talk. It's um, I think I do a decent job of explaining it all. And again, it's just one of those sort of foundational things that everyone needs to know if they're going to be using um, AWS in the long run. So I'll be talking about that. Um, I hope that Pete's going to be talking about Fuseless. I know there's a lot of interest in that from the Adobe Cold Fusion team as well. Uh, and uh, there's a couple of other people I'm talking to about maybe talking about their experiences in working with AWS because it's a great match for CFML. It really is. CF does, CFML does so many things so well, um, but once you get beyond that, you know, it's hard to make them integrate, I think, really well with ColdFusion or not without building your own nightmare setup that you don't want to maintain. And it's so easy to use the Java SDK for AWS to just make your app so much better and use all the stuff that AWS has to offer. Um, so the more I can get that message out there, uh, the, the better off I think our community is. Cool. Well, uh, yeah, I heard that Adobe's going to be focusing more on some of the cloud stuff too. So be curious I what integrations heard. they're going to throw in there for AWS and Azure and Google Cloud yeah. and everything. Um, that's something they they leaked at the the roadshow. Probably shouldn't say too much about that, but uh, <laughs> I've but I've heard the same thing. That's, so yeah, that's uh, the focus. You know. So hopefully they'll be uh, touching most of you because obviously you're using so much of it that they you know they implement the right things but again like so with the sdk even the rest api is pretty pretty good to work with mm -hmm. to, to touch into a lot of that stuff so absolutely, absolutely. so it's they worth it, playing it's with, and, with yeah and the, and the free platform is a good way to get started too right so everyone can sign up for uh, oh, yeah. aws on the free platform and it's amazing how much you actually get for free so you can play with a lot yes. of stuff and not have to spend a penny just make sure you turn it off when you're done playing and, right you know right and, yeah there's a free tier it, if you've never had if you don't have an aws Account, you get a full year of this whole free tier thing um, at, at Hopkins where I work. I mean, the first year that we use Lambda, we didn't get charged one penny 
We stayed That's under crazy. the free tier for the entire year. It's really generous. Um, I mean, it's easy to go over it, right? You know, depending on what you're doing. And if you're spinning your up your own ginormous database clusters in AWS, then yes, you're going to pay a lot of money. But most of the things you need to do, um, you can absolutely stay within the free tier and certainly explore. I mean, all the stuff that I do when I learn how to use Transcribe, Translate, Poly, Lambda, um, you know, even some of the stuff I'm doing in S3 now um, is all sort of captured under the free tier. My blog is posted totally on S3 and I have yet to pay more than, I think I paid 53 cents one month uh, for my blog. Being on S3, you know, using Lambda functions in the background, using DynamoDB to store some information and being distributed via CloudFront. Um, I pay 53 cents a month, which is... Which is which is pretty bonkers, yeah. And mostly that's mostly CloudFront. It's that's that's the most expensive part of it. But again, there's this really generous free tier that goes on and on um, and uh, makes it really easy for you to use their services. Cool. And yeah, and there's some great tools coming out. Like we use Terraform with some clients to help mm-hmm. script out a lot of the environments for uh, for customers. So that if they have multiple customers that need their own private little VPCs, they can actually right. spin up one template. And then they can just change a couple of variables and then we can spin up multiples. And yeah, there's a lot of good stuff coming with AWS. And I mean, Azure and uh, Google Cloud Platform are pretty cool too, but AWS Absolutely. definitely has a, a nice thing. And the CF Summit conferences, if you guys haven't been to one, they're free, I still believe. And they have them periodically around the place. It's like a good intro. And then when you get into it, that's when the re-event, their big conferences, definitely worth going to. And I can't wait. To yeah, they have, they have AWS summits all over. I know there's one in New York in July and there's one in, I think, Anaheim or LA this fall and they have a Boston uh, Dallas all over the world not just the US I mean they have yeah. them all over the world whether it's Stockholm or Mumbai or Paris uh, Tokyo um, it's amazing the number of events they have every year it's crazy um, and then there's reinvent which is you know 60,000 people descend on Los Angeles for a week in December and it's awesome and it's a great learning experience and a great crash course into all things AWS um, but it's exhausting and it's not cheap so that's just uh keep that in mind yeah I, let's see it's on my to-do list hopefully one time one day sometime soon yeah. so cool so um Definitely. you want to tell us how to get a hold of you so Twitter blog yeah. Uh, so my blog is briankloss.net, all one word, and you can see the spelling of my name on the screen here. Uh, but yeah, so it's briankloss.net is my blog. Um, I'm at brian underscore Kloss. If you at briankloss, all one word, you'll be sending a message to a, a political science professor who works out of the UK, uh, who I often get mistaken for online. I get these weird DMs. It's like, you know, because he's, he's a big Trump basher. And so I'll get people from the left and the right sending me these DMs, <laughs> assuming that I am this same Brian Kloss, even though I am not. Uh, but yeah, so it's at Brian underscore Kloss on Twitter, and I'm on there a lot. Occasionally on the CFML Slack channel as well uh, in, in the AWS room. You can send me messages there, and then I get the email notifications and I'll respond back. But if you have questions about AWS or uh, running stuff in AWS or getting started or working with any of the services that I certainly have blogged about, I am more than happy to talk about it. I, you know, If you're asking me about like you know Pinpoint uh, you know, or some of the other services that I don't use, uh, I won't be of much help, but I might be able to point you in the direction of some people that I know who might be able to help you as well for that. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Brian, for coming on. It's been great. I uh, always enjoy talking to you, whether Thanks, it's Kevin. at a conference or online. So, yeah, thank you again. And again, uh, Into the Box was a great session. Uh, the videos are going to be released sometime soon. So I think we're going to have individuals and group packages. So if you just want to grab his session, you can. Hopefully you want to get the rest. You can see the rest of them too. But Absolutely. they'll be available soon. And CF Summit, hopefully you're, well, you're on the committee. You should be there. <laughs> I hope and, so. I better and, be. 
Yeah, and then hopefully next year into the box again. So uh, again, Definitely. Brian's always got great stuff. Check out his blog. Hit him up on Twitter. And uh, again, thank you for coming and uh, making time for us. Thanks for having me. Have a good one. You too. Show notes for this episode can be found on soapbox.modernizeordie.io, where you can also subscribe to iTunes, Spotify, Overcast, or your favorite podcast player, or a link to the YouTube channel for more of these videos. The music used in this podcast is under a royalty-free license from Sound.com and Bluetree Audio.